The Final Fantasy Podcast is brought to you by Potions. If you're down 20 HP and you need that 20 HP back, use a potion. It's very cheap and gives you a little bit of HP back. Hey, good evening. This is Blue Highwind and this is the Final <laughs> Fantasy Wiki Podcast. Um, we now have a sponsor by Potion Brand Potions. Hey. Uh, this is a podcast about wiki stuff and also the Final Fantasy series, but mostly the Final Fantasy series because wiki stuff is wiki stuff. I don't know. Uh, joining me I is uh, they're intertwined. Yeah, they are intertwined. All eventually, it all ends up being part of the vast compendium of knowledge and various nonsense that is the Final Fantasy wiki, the greatest uh, Final Fantasy repertoire of knowledge on the internet currently at the time we're speaking assuming the internet survives and society does not collapse so uh joining me tonight is cat use hi hello yes um also with cat use is some color mage hello uh hello yes hello <laughs> and uh with those two people is technobliterator hi technobliterator so up, dudes? Hi. Aston Villa were top of the league. No, we weren't. We were top 10 for not very long, and then we got kicked <laughs> down again. We suck. Oh. Sports ball talk, really, on a Final Fantasy Wiki podcast? I know, right? I know. So I thought you... that's what this was. This was the Final Fantasy football. No, the fantasy football podcast. The fantasy football <laughs> wiki. That's what the, the fantasy final football. Yeah, that's what the FF stands for. Uh, speaking yep. speaking of football, uh, Aaron Judge hit a home run in his first at bat. Woo! Good yeah. for him. I don't know who that is. I don't know who he plays for either. Plays for the New York Yankees. Okay. Play baseball. That's not a football team. No, but there was a football team <laughs> called the Yankees once upon a time. Anyway, uh, we have a lot of news. There was a lot of news this month, because yep. it's March. I don't know why. Uh, you know why? Because uh, Final Fantasy sixteen had a giant media tour, and uh, that just unleashed the floodgates of news upon news upon news upon news upon news. So I wanted to bullshit and talk about Marvel's Midnight Suns for like 10 minutes, but I don't have time for that. Instead, I got to talk about... Um, we have some uh, big news in terms of the structure of Square Enix. Have you heard of this company, Square Enix? No, I mean, I've never played any of their games before. I oh. wonder what they're like. Oh, but how do you know they're a game company? Mmm, mmm, That's the company that keeps trying to sell NFTs and nobody buys, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We have the, the uh, 25th enough, anniversary of Final radical. Fantasy VII. They're selling NFTs for that. Yeah, which funnily enough is actually relevant because the president of Square Enix, who has gone fired, that's the new story. Uh, one of the speculations was, oh, he got fired because he was pushing the NFT shit and no one was buying it. But we did a little bit of investigation and the new president is not without his history in the space of cryptocurrency. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a tenuous link because like, people were looking at, uh, at the company that he worked for before Square Enix and they're basically just one of those like 
uh, like uh, we uh, get into everything kind of things like they didn't get into into nfts until after the new guy uh the new guy left that company because he's been at square for like i think about three four years now and uh nfts didn't actually exist yeah. until like three years ago okay let me uh let me specify this story so uh square next president yosuke matsuda who has been president for roughly 10 years now i think uh, something like seven or eight uh, he is no longer yeah, president, and he has been replaced by Takashi Kiryu. Well, he's stepping down in, like, one or two months. Like, oh, okay. he is still currently president, but, like, the board have announced their intention that, like, at the next big board meeting, he's going to he's going to leave the company and uh, Takashi Kiryu becomes CEO. Yes, yeah, so this was announced on March 3rd, and the board will come together in June 2023. So he's currently the lame duck president, and we have a, a new president-elect of Square Enix, who is this gentleman that has been around for about three years. Yeah. Now, there is multiple speculation as to why uh, the former president was fired, including the failure of Marvel's Avengers, uh, NFT stuff, uh, the fact that Forspoken sold like shit, but no one actually really knows. Yeah, like it does actually look like it's uh, it's an amenable split because uh, we do have to do a bit more Final Fantasy fourteen stuff later because uh, there was a live laser on about twelve hours before we record this podcast, and both uh, Matsuda and Kiyu were actually on it at the beginning and like Matsuda just seems to be like fine, like like uh, like he's not you know simpering with rage at the board or anything so so it seems that like it's an amicable departure well there is a cultural thing in japan where you're usually not going to speak shit about the place you work mm. typically especially if you're a guy that's high enough up to be a ceo but uh yeah, well, maybe well, that maybe culture we'll, is starting we'll to shift that's just been that. traditional uh, there is a there's a um, pr reason for change they list here, which is under the rapid change of business environments surrounding the entertainment business. Blah 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 blah. It's a bunch of bullshit. They don't say anything in this press release. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's the like end of I that. think. Yeah, we don't really know what any of this shit means except for like, you know, maybe this guy is is. If not not an NFT guy, then somewhat more restrained and won't say have every year. Happy New Year! Here's some bullshit about Web three shit that never works and never will. Yeah. Oh, he has been around for exactly ten years because he uh, took over in April 2013, taking over from Yochi Wada, everyone's favorite Yochi Wada. Uh, yeah. Um. I. You know what? Let us look back at the last 10 years of Square Next. I think Yosuke, Yosuke Matsuda did an okay job. They released good video games in that period. Yeah, like, the the company is doing fine for most of that time. It's just started to hit a, hit a wall in the last few years. And not even in the game department. Like, like the, like, you know, the console games uh, department seems to have been the best it's been for a long time yeah it's mostly just 
Square Enix's side stuff catching up to them yet a fucking again, because that's what always happens with Square Enix. They get a ton of money, and then they accidentally blow it on, on something really fucking stupid. I mean, the failure of Eidos and all that stuff, that was more Yochi Wada's doing. I mean, that purchase, I guess, ultimately didn't make sense for the company, but it wasn't... It was never really a good purchase, no. No. The, those two cultures did not match. Um, I mean, if Matsuda might have been the guy that went up to Crystal Dynamics and said, uh, please add all this stupid games-as-a-service shit to Avengers and kind of ruin that game. But I, we're not going to ever know. That's not something that anyone's ever going to report. So, uh, you know, mildly concerned about the future because anytime a company changes direction like this, who knows what's going to happen? And I'm generally happy with where Square Enix is right this time. Oh, second. of course, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I can agree with that. Like, you know, Square Enix, they've had their hits and misses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're overall doing much better lately than they have been in the recent history. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, I would, you know, it would be more impactful if someone like Yoshi P, or like you know someone like that left, than it would be like you know someone super super high up who's only involved in the business shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have executive meddling all over the place in the video game industry, but a, a but somehow. Uh, you know the fans are gonna bl- if something goes wrong the fans are probably gonna blame the people on the ground someone like yoshi p or nomura not not the not the suits mm-hmm. uh the other news um for maybe an indication of square Enix's uh future direction is that symbiogenesis game is still happening whatever that thing is and uh, and it looks like shit well it sounds amazing because the music that's in the trailer, I had stuck in my head for like a day, uh, but it did uh, it did go around a while on Twitter with just like pictures of the overall economy of what this thing is supposed to be, with blockchain and just all just yeah. the scuzziest awful yeah, shit. Yeah, and, and like not even that, just the fucking the fucking art, because uh, I mean. Does anyone know what NFTRs is usually like? I mean, it looks like... Uh, it honestly looks like it was made by AI. These characters. Yeah, that's be basically like hundreds of yeah, them. NF- NFTRs, you basically just create a few assets and uh, then get a computer to just put together all the possible permutations of them. And the end result looks ugly as hell. Yeah, so um, um, please no one buy Symbiogenesis or anything involved with it for the good of uh, video games. So I have a question, actually. So so my under- so the marketing is that there are 10,000 characters available, and presumably these are non-fun- non-fungible, right? I have no D- idea. Does this mean that there could be only 10,000 people playing Symbiogenesis at any one time? Or how, how the does fuck does this like thing work? Something, does something... There's something like in their well plan of like being able to duplicate NFTs, so so yeah, funging the non fungible tokens. <laughs> um, also, uh, yes, I found the uh, one picture I wanted to. Uh, oh man, <laughs> that was a great hat. <laughs> yeah, 
they they clearly only exist on uh, on one side of everyone's head since the hair just clips through in every direction. This is <laughs> this this makes Final Fantasy XIV's like hat clipping issues look like nothing. Oh my god! How is this like official like like an actual like poster that they put out? It's the same NFT face. Art, man. It's the exact same face. They pasted it four times. <laughs> what is this? I don't know. Okay, so so good news. Clearly Square Enix spent like five bucks on this. And uh, we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you know. I Really, I only bring it up because the trailer music is really, really good. I, I am annoyed by how much I like the trailer music. Also, Square that there Enix is... knows their music. Yeah, there also is that Final Fantasy VII NFT story that I mentioned, and uh, I think we can move on from... Well, one more thing about NFTs is that Hajime Tabata, uh, Final Fantasy XV's director <laughs> and Type Zero's director... Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, he uh, he's also speaking out that NFTs and like blockchain shit is the future of video games. Uh, that there's going to be a Japan Metaverse Economic Zone is the quote. Uh, that's apparently what he's been working on since he quit. Um, I don't know what that means. Some kind of NFT co co prosperity sphere. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. No, nobody knows what any of this shit means. Yeah, it may be mistranslated or something. Um, genuinely, I would study more, but I am intellectually lazy when it comes to NFTs. In that, I just think it's all a load of bullshit and. All this shit can get yeah, thrown down. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Yeah. Well, in bigger news, um, yeah, Final Fantasy XI, the other Final Fantasy fourteen, the older one, uh, its uh, its director is shutting down, or he's putting, passing the reins on. So Akihito yeah. Matsui, he is uh, going to be dropping down. He's been running the game since April first, twenty twelve. And is going to be passing over the reins to Yoji Fujito. Woo! Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess the future of Final Biden. Fantasy XI is unclear right now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, I'm like, shocked. They're saying that, you know, they'll, they'll just be working on a smaller scale for now. And Final Fantasy XI is far from dead. Like, mm -hmm. the game just had like a, a revival like uh, the um the the uh, first the first storyline post uh, like the original ending uh the voracious resurgence uh, ended uh uh either last month or the month before um so like there there's still stuff going on there it's just you know, the it's just that part of the reality is that the game is old it's it's like the only thing still in existence that uses PlayStation 2 dev kits. Um, wow. That's, like it, that game, like, I'm surprised, uh, has not had a full like tech rebuild just to keep it going. Yeah, because like, um, like, Yoshi P is, uh, because he's head of uh, Creative Business Unit 3, he's also the director of, uh, the producer of, uh, of Eleven at the oh, moment. Really? And like, uh, Eleven oh. doesn't even have an en doesn't even have an engineering budget anymore. Yoshida's uh, talked about this before. He budgets all of Eleven and Fourteen's engineering as Final Fantasy Fourteen's engineering, so that so that like when the uh, 
when there's an emergency in one of the games or there's nothing to do in one of the games, he can just assign everyone on that team to the other game. Huh. Yeah, that's not good if you're the uh, older, less popular brother to be on the same team in the same pool of money. Like, it just, in general, seems like, aside from the, uh, the, the monthly, uh, the monthly update they do, it just seems to be a very low-maintenance game in general, so. It doesn't, I don't think it's ever waned in popularity, it's just genuinely just being slowly sunsetted, I guess, is their plan. I guess... I mean, how are the other really, really old MMOs that are still going? Like, is Ultima Online still a thing? Is, are people still playing that one? I don't know about Ultima Online, but EverQuest definitely is. EverQuest still gets yearly expansion packs. Yeah, EverQuest oh, is... Oh, Let me see. I'm, I'm going to check Ultima Online if it's had a new expansion. Um, it is not. I know. 2015 was the last one. is still alive and kicking. Yeah, those games, I, I think EverQuest will last forever. It'll outlast uh, World of Warcraft. I'm going to put a bet down on that one. I would agree with that bet. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think World of Warcraft only has so much life le left in it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's and that's purely because of Blizzard's mismanagement of that game. And yeah, then mismanagement, period. Well, yeah, also, like, I like... mean... Dragonflight has done better than the previous two World of Warcraft expansions, but it's still uh, it's still basically delaying the inevitable, really. Okay, um, big news. Not terribly big news for us, though, is uh, the 3DS and Wii U eShops shut down on the 28th. So right. everything that was online only on those servers is basically lost forever except for the small group of people trying to make a uh, kind of like preservation thing. So um, I'm trying to think, what was that one game? Uh, Yasumi, oh, damn it, I'm blanking on it. Anyway, well, what we lost, I'll, I'll figure out what I want to talk about, the one thing that's missing there. Uh, what we've lost is... Um, Final Fantasy 1 through 3 on the Virtual Console 3DS. That's lost forever, but those are just ports. Uh, Final Fantasy 1 through yeah. 6 on Virtual Console. Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Uh, Mystic Quest. All this stuff was only released in Japan anyway, but it is not there. Uh, yeah. Pictologica Final Fantasy with an unpronounceable character at the end, which was a 3DS version that's already got yeah. shut down a few years ago. And I don't know if this multiplayer server was even still running, but Final Fantasy Explorers, I'm pretty sure that system would be completely dead at this point. Remember Final Fantasy Explorers? And that game was pretty much dead on launch, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I remember, I remember, like, not even playing it, but people talking about it for about three seconds, then I think everyone just forgot that it existed. <laughs> Yeah, it was like that one Zelda multiplayer game that came out on the 3DS that also nobody liked, except it was even less popular. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's kind of a crappy thing that just happened that a huge like section mm. of video game history can just get wiped out with no legal way of really continuing it. 
I'm going to look up what this game is. The one game I wanted to talk about because I cannot remember what it was called. Uh, damn it. Should I go and deal with this dead air? No. A Crimson Shroud. The Yusumi Matsuno game that came out on the 3DS eShop. Did any of you play that? Uh, no. Yeah, it was like a... Uh. It was like a digital tabletop role-playing game. Um, the people that did play it seemed to really like it. It's like extremely like a guild game, or like it was part of the guild like O one collection. It was a thing that Level Five did for the 3DS. Anyway, that's like lost forever. The, the, the art kind of looks like something from Evil East, so that's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I, I I had like barely heard of any of these games to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, if you have any curiosity about it, well, put that curiosity away because Nintendo has killed your opportunity to play it, unless you do one of the many options you have to get around that. I'm sure it can be done. I'm pretty sure you could break into your 3ds and find the online files and all that stuff is now um i i recommend it because there's no legal recourse so go for it have fun all right for spoken the game i need to finish and probably never will uh dlc is coming out may 26 is called intanto we trust Gonna take place twenty five years in the future. I think it's probably the only one. Yeah. Uh, gonna yeah, take place twenty five years in the future. Yeah, because they already I... shut down the whole the whole studio. After yeah, the Luminous game. is Luminous is getting shot. It's well, technically two games. They also did Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, um, well, yeah, I mean, if if you count that, yeah. So they made they they sectioned Square Enix off into its own well, a part of. Whatever business unit it was, yeah, it's like it Vision off. Five, I think that's the one. They sectioned it off into its own studio because they didn't trust them, and then they let its own studio make its own game, and it, they didn't like it, so they put it back in Square Enix. What the fuck was the point? <laughs> like, uh, what are they, they doing? They, they wanted Luminous to be the the Luminous engine to be a big thing but like ultimately it just fell into the same kind of debacles that crystal tools did and that just nobody other than square wanted to invest in it so like there's no point having a studio just dedicated to this engine well i think if the idea square... was that they were going to go and create a kind of external ish studio to make different sorts of games so that way you end up with something mm -hmm. like Forspoken that, in theory, would have the scale of Final Fantasy, but also be able to do something a Final Fantasy never could do, which is star a black protagonist right. from, you know, New York City. Uh, but that right. game does not hit that scale at all. Mm. Though I should finish it. I yeah, did pay $75 for that fucking thing. Mm. It tax. just didn't... It's just Forspoken just didn't resonate with people. Like, that's, that's what happened there. Like, you know, they were never able to really market it and fully explain what it is and why people should be invested in it. And as a result, um, you know, once once it came out and it only got, like, 7 out of 10s with the review score, that kind of kills any new IP, right? You know, if you're, 
if you're coming out with a game that's like seven out of ten these days is like the kiss of death you know even though that says oh it's an above average game no i mean you know people aren't going to spend the money on that yeah only some kind of idiot would spend 75 dollars on a video game that uh is only kind of okay considering how fierce the competition is like i mean it is that's one thing that i kind of get worried about like the overall future of the industry and i figure eventually it should fix itself but like it's got to be so hard right now to release a video game especially one that you have to release at this point you've done all you can to get that game as good as you can it was delayed an entire year they had to know that that game was going out and wasn't going to be you know the success it needed to be. Yeah. I, I feel bad uh, for everyone in Luminous. Um, Same. Well, better news, yeah. um, uh, Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Uh, it's coming to Steam on April 6th. I guess that's all there is to say about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, maybe Maybe the game runs better on PC now. I don't know. Um, I bet it'll run terribly on PC, actually. Whoa, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, I, the, the as PC version has run terribly. It's uh, it's has been up until now Epic Game Store exclusive, oh. and uh, that was uh, and that was known for running so badly that people modded the game to remove everyone's hair to get the game to run better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the story last year where somebody counted that, like, the king has so many polygons in his robes that when he shows up on I, screen... I mean, that, that's understandable. Have you seen that king? He is a very wide lad. I know. He's he's enormous and very fancy. <laughs> There's a lot of him to deck, all right? He is deeply bedeckled, and he has a lot of square footage. <laughs> so I understand why he would crash the game's uh, frame rate. Like, like Yoon and Scaife uh, tried the game, and one of the first things that uh, messaged me about is that she's scared of the king. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still find that game so amazing. Because it did the, it did like the Sonic 2006 fucking thing, where it would like have a load screen for an NPC to say one line. Yeah, that was that the uh, the like trying to talk to people in the town is just so fucking weird. It's so strange. Clearly, they intended for this town to be a town, and instead, it's just a menu. Oh man, oh, I love that game. I love that people legitimately love it, and like, I don't have to say it's so bad; it's good. But it is fascinating. I I still need to play through the DLC. Like I had, like I did start on the Bahamut stuff, but like even with making the game e- easier, the uh, the Bahamut DLC is a big grind. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. I think everyone's gonna respond to this one. This came out yesterday at 6.30 p.m. Well, that's when I found out about it. There was also really enormous news that happened around the same time, but we can't talk about that. That's outside our scope. Um, But just as gigantic, E3's dead. Rip Bozo. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's clearly just as gigantic as the other piece in you. Yes, it is as important, as significant. People were cheering in the streets for the same reason. Well, I guess the opposite. People were cheering and weeping at the same time. It was a lot, a lot of very difficult emotions. <laughs> oh, I, I've seen this. All right, so uh, Cat used po no, some color mage. Sorry, posted the uh, tweet of uh, a former ex-president typing on his computer. They canceled the three, but I never got to go. Oh no, my day could not get any worse. And um, well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the the writing on the wall was through for for E three basically this entire month. Uh, companies just started announcing, "No, we're not going to be what? here." And oh. like, eventually, the question become, "Is anyone there?" Like, nobody seen, was confirming a presence as E three at all. So, yeah, there's just nothing there. Um, and E3 tends to be pretty bad anyway. Uh, and for those of you who uh, who like anti-vaping PSAs, the uh, Summer Games Fest is still happening. <laughs> the Summer Games Fest at least had like a Weezer shit post once. I don't think I've had fun with E3 for the past several years. Uh, it it peaked with that one Konami show. All right, well... There hasn't been an E3 for the last few years. Like, the last one was Okay, 20, well, okay, there hasn't been... There, I haven't had fun with E3 for the past... For several years prior to the before... To prior to the great cataclysm of 2019-2020. Well, like, um, you know, I used to be super... I used to be super excited for E3 every time it would roll around. You know, you'd always see... That, that would always be when developers would come out with whatever new thing they're working on and i'd always say oh shit it's gonna be jack four this year oh or it's gonna be um you know because i'm a jack and daxter fan or oh shit it's gonna be ratchet and clank and then sometimes it actually was ratchet and clank or it's gonna be final fantasy Sarah remake and then it actually fucking happened like you know so those are all the memories i have from e3 like you know that you'd always build up anticipation for this huge thing and you'd always tune into the different shows that they would have and you know it was always like a dream to actually go there right you know for sports fans it was like the super bowl almost you know it was a thing that would happen every year that people would you know anticipate their whole lives actually getting to see it in person because it was this huge fucking event right but, you know, now they've just kind of, like, not done it anymore. And you can kind of understand why, because the studios really want the flexibility of, oh, we'll just announce things on our own time. And, you know, yeah, and that's that one thing, And that's one thing that has basically allowed Jeff Keighley to out outmaneuver uh, DESA. And also, Reed Pop was involved in A3 this year for some reason. And it basically allowed the Summer Game Fest to uh, to replace E3. Summer Games Fest goes on for like a month. Yeah, it is a long series of streams. Like, uh, like, sure, there there are there are gaps between them, but uh, you're not they're not crammed into like the three day 
period there's E3 allotted for, for the live streams. Yeah, I guess I'm the only one that actually went to E3, right? I say with a uh, gigantic yeah. shit-eating grin on my friends. From, yeah. from this lot of us, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, lucky me. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if in 10, 15 years time or so, they bring it back as some kind of like nostalgia thing. Because like, you know, I fully expect that it's one of those things. It's going to be like blockbuster where the, the, it's going to be like a nostalgia thing that everyone remembers. And then they're, they're going to make a huge amount of money off of it. The, the ESA is definitely constantly going to try and bring it back because this is one of their main sources of funding. Yep. Well, they're going to have to figure out how to make do because this new uh, press release of... The new press release was not even like, we'll see you next year, which is what they've normally done. Like, they didn't have one in 2022, mm. but they're like, all right, well, we're taking the year off, but we'll be back next year and better than ever. Wait for us, gamers. And this time they're like, oh, sorry, dudes. We, it's just not happening this time. And... Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not Did, a good sign. Yeah, they didn't even turn yeah, into the Sonic it, the Hedgehog voice. So, yep, it's it's a sad day, but I but like I said, I fully expect they're gonna bring it back at some point because you know people are gonna start to miss it. Like, and honestly, the replacement for it, the game show, is a piece of shit. Like, I mean, they have not yet figured out how to make a good. Sorry, game show, the game awards. <laughs> They have not yet figured out how to make a good game awards. Then again, all awards shows suck, if you ask me. Well, well, I mean, the problem with the game awards is sort of like an exemplification of what I already didn't like about E3. And then it's just kind of true with a lot of these shows, which is that it's just sort of like so corporate, corporate as to just be fucking... Right, yeah. It's, it's like completely inauthentic, right? And unlike, you know, like the Oscars or some shit, there's no like fun celebrity drama that everyone can tune in for. Cause that's the only reason anyone ever tunes in for that piece of shit. Like, you know, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing like that that people can, you know, there's no like, oh, who's going to wear this on the red carpet or, oh, look at, you know, Ben Affleck looking bored as fuck next to JLo who's trying to make him super excited. There's none of that going on. So, like, when you don't have that, and you're left with just the lack of authenticity that comes from this kind of corporate event, then it just becomes, like, so pointless. And as much what? as they can keep being like, oh, we got more viewers than the Grammys this year, and, and the Grammys and MTV and whatever combined, it's like, okay, but how many people liked it? And how many people are going to remember, like, oh, that was a really good Game Awards? No, they're just going to remember, like, oh, that game won Game of the Year and you didn't deserve to win it. Fuck that game. Oh, The Last of Us, all the awards. That's all... Uh, anyway, the total tangent. I'll yeah, stop you, the tangent. Yeah, we got way off our tangent. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I feel like what this is... what This is this explains why people were hyper-fixated on the, like, Bill Clinton rabbi guy. But also, yeah. I think what, 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 what I'm convinced is that next time Jeff Keighley needs to get Kojima and he needs to he, he needs to walk up to fucking Konami and be like, get your fucking game out of my mouth and just like like pour, pour a bunch of gasoline on stage on like a copy of Metal Gear <laughs> 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 and just let it rip. 
So this is the ECW uh, wrestling version of the Game Awards. <laughs> We're gonna settle this at the summer, not Summer Slam, Summer Game Fest. Meet me at the ring, brother. To be fair, I can I can think of of several several developers that would totally just try and grab a steel chair and and whack some other developer they hate. So yeah. So, oh my so God, I, mean, I was not... trying to go for the Will Smith and Chris Rock, but I, I, I like I like the WWE. <laughs> Do not give David Cage a steel chair. He's going to cause so many problems with it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. So to go back to E3, um, personally, all right, having actually been there, which is awesome, and I'm going to use that as a point of cred for my gamer cred for the rest of my life, because I'm like, I was actually there. Hey. You don't understand, man. You weren't there, man. Um, what was great about it was... Because I actually got to go, like, before it had rotted away to dust like it had those last few years before it was canceled. If you remember E3 2019, like, every reporter I was hearing reporting about that event, they were like, man, I don't know why this show is even still happening. There's so much empty space. So when I got to go, that was yeah. 10 years ago, it was actually still mostly the e3 of legend um so you know you could actually play a game and just pick it up and one of the great things was like i was playing a uh, sonic boom if you remember that game <laughs> that was like the first game oh, i picked God. up at that thing and i'm i'm playing it and i'm aghast in horror at how fucking bad this game is <laughs> and <laughs> the sega rep comes up to me and he's like uh, i'm like i'm trying to say it as diplomatically as possible it's like what were you going for here? I don't understand. What was your... I'm like, what Sonic game were you inspired by? And was it Sonic 2006? <laughs> and, you know, you, you kind of lose moments like that when it's just a live stream of let's do, like, nine trailers back to back to back. It just... It, it makes the gaming industry feel, I don't know, more generic and kind of depressing which maybe it's become yeah it's it's inauthentic it, is what it is it, because they hyper control everything so that you see it a certain way and it's just not like organic or they've lost the human element to it yeah i don't know but i understand why it could not happen i mean you know th there's something we lost in the showmanship even the failed showmanship of that Konami stream from yeah, 2009. Just, like, my theory is that there were so many, like, over the years with the publishers coming in, enough of them have racked up enough embarrassing moments at E3 that they were like, oh, shit, let's never let that happen again. And let's, well, you know, hyper-control our show, right? But in doing that, like... The embarrassing moments were kind of what endeared us to the publishers and the people involved to begin with. Like, you know, that was the stuff we liked about it. Like Well that that is what that is what effectively killed E3. Like one year after one of the E3s when Nintendo embarrassed themselves, they just announced, Fuck it, we we don't need to uh, do our conference from within E3 anymore. We'll do it live. They invented Nintendo Direct. It worked. Mm. It showed everyone else they could do this. Yep. Yeah, yeah you could sucks, just man. spit up a stream. And the other thing, like, that's very important is, like, even by the time I'd gotten there, 
the writing was kind of on the wall because what E3 was, it wasn't supposed to be this consumer-facing event. It had kind of become right. that because gaming sites had used it as this big moment of let's go and have this big bash and we're going to get like half our revenue of the year in this one moment. But like that was supposed to be a we're selling games to retail moment. That's what the whole thing was. That's what the showmanship was. We're going to show off how powerful, how rich we are. Walmart, you have to go and buy 50 copies of Far Cry 1. Put it in your best spot, and we're going to all make tons of money together. And, you know, by that point, the gaming industry had already become mostly digital. So it all was kind of, you know, past its prime. It was all extinct. We were walking through a corpse already, and it was still a fun time, but, you know. That kind of event just doesn't make any sense because no one goes to stores now, and there's no yeah, games. Yeah, I'm surprised. Media. I'm surprised GameSpot is still. No, sorry, GameSpot. GameStop is Either still one. running at this. Point. Like, yeah, well, well, GameSpot isn't running anymore. It's now owned by Fandom. It's not its own thing. But GameStop, yeah, I'm I'm shocked that's still running. Dude, the GameStop in Providence, Rhode Island. Providence Place Mall, it's always full of people. I don't understand. I mean, sometimes I go in there just to people watch, but it's like, who are all you people? And they sell Among Us for $25. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's people who just really love the nostalgia of it, but I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure, because I always buy games on digital, because, you know, if I'm going to go back and forth between countries all the time, I don't want to carry a bunch of boxes with me, so I always buy them on digital just because of that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm definitely surprised that uh, that Electronics Boutique, which is uh, some of the some of the international branches of GameStop, like down here in uh, Australia, New Zealand, are still around, because uh, like it does really feel like I'm very much talking about Australian business stuff now, but it feels like uh, Electronics Boutique should have been completely destroyed by JB Hi-Fi, which is a general home theater and electronics uh, company that uh, that has roughly as big a game library as eb hasn't hasn't completely taken them over yet yeah. kind of like uh, like best buy for us i guess blue and cut yeah um well interestingly gamestop actually posted a profit recently which is their first in about two years so, yeah um, i like buying things from a store because I like the fact that there's a guy who has to hand me a thing. I hate buying things digital, which I have to do on Steam. I, I would rather have a box, even if the box is purely symbolic and meaningless. No, I I understand that for sure. And people right. like to own something as opposed to have it exist in the cloud where, you know, the company might go down in the case of Google Stadia and then you've lost it forever and oh well, they refunded it you but you still don't you know you don't own the thing that you bought so no I, I understand people who say that but yeah and I also understand the preference for buying things in person as opposed to online because despite the fact I work for a retail company in which I'm mostly doing the e-commerce stuff I personally hate to buy groceries online no I'm you know not so that. i can no never yeah i can completely understand people who prefer to buy games in person as well like I, I totally get it yeah so i'll be buying final fantasy 16 with a physical copy 
I may even buy it from the GameStop. Oh, yeah, like, that's by my house. Um, like I, I've got a physical copy on pre-order, and because yeah. like, and because uh, shipping games in Australia were always tends to be a clusterfuck that never arrives on time. I've actually got to go to the store pick it up in person. But yeah. So um, let's move on to our next and maybe final topic. Well, we have a gigantic topic after that, but uh, Kazushige Nojima, he's written a book. And that book is mm. called Traces of Two Pasts, Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think this was part of an Ultimania from a few years ago, but it's only just been translated into no. English this month. No, this one wasn't part of the Ultimania. So he actually wrote two Final Fantasy VII remake novels, both about Aerith, funnily enough. Huh. Uh, one of them was part of the Ultimania, and that was about Aerith and her upbringing in the Shinra building. Okay. Uh, the other one, this one is, uh, is in two parts, where the first part is about Tifa's history in Nibelheim up until when she moved to Sector to the... It turns out she moved to the Sector 8 slums before she moved to the Sector 7 slums. Um, and then the part about Aerith is focused on her upbringing in the Sector 5 slums. Okay, it is uh, 400 pages, says Amazon, yep. which I don't recommend in you buy it from, but it um, does look like it's very small yeah. font, though. Not small font, I mean it looks like big font. So it's probably yeah, on so, the borderline between novella and novel, which is a complicated thing. Yeah, no, it's it's a novel size. Okay. Uh, I have it. Um, it's the size of any other novel I have. Um, whereas the the one about Aerith that was released with the Ultimania, that was novella size. Okay. Um, yeah, so the book has a bunch of lore details which uh we did talk about when the book was released in japanese we talked about it a little bit when it came out then and did some we? translators like yeah a little I bit don't think we like did. some translators I don't remember it all okay well some translators gave us a few details of the book but now now i have it it turns out there's a bunch of stuff they they just haven't translated they just didn't translate to us or that they just didn't highlight because they didn't think it was important. But I found it super important. So we learned so much about Nibelheim from this book. And the thing I'm most happy about, and the thing I was most, most excited about with anything, like this is back before we even knew Seven Remake was ever gonna happen. The one thing I was most excited to learn about was Zangan, right? That was always the character I was most excited to learn anything about because I'm a huge sucker for the monk characters. Right, and no, they didn't disappoint with this. They gave a pretty good about, about a bunch of info about Zangan and how he trained Tifa, how he discovered Tifa, and what Zangan's all about. Uh, there's also an implication that Zangan might actually work for Avalanche, which would make a lot of sense. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and then you learn about the time where Tifa moved to the Sector 8 slums. You learn basically the full history of what happened straight after the Nibelheim incident because they skip over that part. So there's the part in Before Crisis, where, which is the day before uh, Cloud, Zack, and Sephiroth arrived in Nibelheim. And that was the day when the, the Turk had just been sent over and recruited Tifa to go look to go lead the investigation team uh to to tour guide them 
Uh, they basically, uh, they include that part and then they skip over the Nibelheim incident because Tifa just says, oh, it happened as Cloud described and then refuses to elaborate further, right? Which is her, which is her basically saying like, um, yeah, she, she's not gonna like uh, contradict what Cloud's saying. Um, so yeah, so that we just get a ton of details from this book, like a ton of stuff that we didn't really know much about. And um, I will not elaborate further because I have not read that much further. Okay. All right. Well, if anything dirty happens, you have to tell me. <laughs> According to the translators, there is something. But, oh. Uh, that will be later. Okay. Haven't gotten to that bit yet. All right. I don't know why my mind has to go there, but inevitably it does. I... Um... <laughs> I don't think I could ever read a novelization of something I've either seen or played. Somehow, I just can't ever bring myself to accept the written word version of a character I've seen in a TV show. Like, I can't, I can't read any Star Wars novels. I've never been able to really do it. It always just felt kind of weird and off, and it's like, now I can suddenly see inside Tifa's internal monologue. It just it doesn't feel right. I don't know why. No, I do. I do feel that because um, one of the things that I really love about the Final Fantasy VII characters and Tifa especially, one of the things I really love about her is you can read her lines of dialogue five, ten different ways as to what what she could mean with anything she says. Right? There's five, ten different ways you could read anything, and in the book it just tells you like, no, this is what she was thinking, and you do kind of lose that aspect. So I was quite worried about reading the book when i read it but it has it has so far far surpassed my expectations in that regard um i think it's very it's it's a very good read there's a lot of new lore details we've learned there that i really loved um i loved how he portrayed all of the characters so far and as someone who's written about these characters extensively for the wiki pages they're very true to them so yeah i'm gonna say uh i will say this is a good I can easily recommend this book if you are a big Final Fantasy VII fan. I can't tell you how good of a novel it is because I'm not much of a reader, but at least from the aspect of being a Final Fantasy VII remake fan, it's a good book. Okay. Let's say it's probably as good as a Thomas Pinchon novel. How about that? I don't know, but maybe. Right. <laughs> Sounds right. I think that's all our news. I think we can finally move on uh, to our well, main subject. I mean, aside from the oh. main the main topic news, uh, one more smaller news topic. Oh, I missed this. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen live letter about 13 hours ago from when we recorded. Uh, patch uh, 6.4, uh, The Dark Throne, is coming probably May-ish. Uh, that's, um, uh, this is the this is towards the end of the expansion now so uh so the story is starting to gear up towards uh towards getting us to where uh 7.0 which is going to be uh revealed on july 28 release uh sometime after january 2024 uh goes uh we're gonna hop into the void and beat the shit out of golbez yeah um take that golbez also, because of there's a July fan fest, uh, I actually showed you uh, this picture before of some of the merchandise, it's like the axolotl uh, plushie. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's so, yeah. awesome. I want that. All that all that match stuff is uh, is coming out as uh, so you know it's the start of the big uh, previously two year, but I guess now every two and a half year press cycle around the fourteen expansions. Yeah, I have a very long flight that I'm putting together right now, and I may need an Eloxel to keep my neck straight. And it's, uh, I believe it's available for pre-order on the Square Enix store right now. But it also said it was like $40, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. It is somewhat expensive. So... <laughs> Final Fantasy 1, Final Fantasy 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16! Final Fantasy 16. Uh, Yoshi P. this month had a gigantic press tour, which culminated in an hour-long PAX East uh, presentation, showing off all kinds of things about the game, everything you could possibly want asked, and more. Um... He mentioned many, many times that you can pet the dog, and there is a dog, and there appears to he be a dog plush. He spent entire hours petting a t- plushie at Torkoal just to prove that, yes, you can pet him. Yeah, but then when he was playing the game, he goes up to Torgal, who is uh, Clive's dog, <laughs> and he unleashes Drag. a heavy attack, and the dog jumps out of the way. <laughs> it was the best moment. Ugh. And there's... Which, uh, as uh, Koji Fox helpfully pointed out, yes, you can pet the Torgal. No, you cannot kill the Torgal. I'm assuming Torgal is immortal, just like Sora's dog, Goofy. Goofy is a dog, right? I, I, I imagine that he's like... Have you ever played Metal Gear Rising? Yes, I have. Love that like, game. Great game. Because like early, in, early in the first stage where you land on this beach, there's this cat, and no matter how... How savagely you try to attack it, it just backflips out of the way of all your attacks. I imagine Torgal's like that. Yeah, you cannot pet the dog in Metal Gear Rising, though. I don't believe you can. That was before that meme, which now means every single game developer has to go out of their way to go and design a dog you can pet. <laughs> God. So, uh, where do we want to start with this Final Fantasy 16 media blitz? I mean, uh... Oh man, he he spoke a lot. He showed a lot of the game. There, the game has gone gold as of today, and uh, it's right, two yeah. months ahead of time. Um, I mean, uh, I I think he kind of answered everybody's doubts about the game, and even responded to criticism in real time in his presentation, which was interesting because uh, slices of Final Fantasy 16 have been coming out earlier this month with uh, various media mm-hmm. outlets. And he's like, all your complaints? No, bullshit. I have answers for all that. It's like, people are like, oh, the, the environments are too small. He's like, nope, here's a kilometer by kilometer size slice of the world of a gigantic skybox behind it. We're good. Yeah, which I don't even think is all that impressive. Like, uh, as if, and by that I mean, like, I don't think this whole push for, oh, we have to have these huge fucking giant environments and games... And they have to be big as fuck so that you can explore everything. I don't. I think that's a stupid ass trend. So I mean, I'm glad that he answered that, but they shouldn't have been asking it in the first place. Well, I, I think it was just that the earlier slice of combat was in a relatively small room, and he's like, "No, this uh, engine yeah, is not looks- limited. We can 
have big fuck off areas, and the game seemed to be running pretty well. I think so. Yeah, like the gameplay footage at the start of the month was like this one castle area at night. So uh, not only was it a very small area, it was very hard to see anything. Yes. So, no, the game runs very well in the day, I think. Yes, he, he later has a gigantic field area and fights a coral and some other kind of tiger enemy. And it seems to be running very, very well with that. Right. Yeah, it does seem like, because, uh, you know, like most modern games, it does have a performance switch, which uh, the options are uh, 2K60 and uh, 4K30. And, like, the 60 frames mode seems to do 60 frames. Yeah, and it was running on a PlayStation 5 on stage. Right, yeah. Which I am willing to believe they were not bullshitting us about. No, because the game has gone gold, so... I think the game is actually completely finished. They're just probably going to do, like, the last-minute, you know, polishing. Right. Maybe whatever comes yeah. up in the day one patch. But at this point, this this game's done. It's ready to go. Mm. It looks pretty damn good. Um, I'm most impressed by the icon fights, which are what the summons are called now. Because um, he... Right. He responds to this, too, where everyone had kind of just assumed that this was going to be QTE and it was all going to be canned animations or whatever. No, it's a completely different kind of uh, slice of the battle system where you could fully move as Efreet or Phoenix or whichever one you're playing as and go fight a monster that's many, many times your size and it looks awesome. Hmm. Like The the game does look very impressive and and yeah, even with uh, if we're being like you know, a slow kind of brawl thing, they do still even switch that up. And there's shows that one fight where where you play Phoenix in a Panzer Dragoon like segment. So um... yeah, rail shooter. I like a rail shooter. Yeah, we're way overdue for one of those. I I haven't played anything like that since Kingdom Hearts three at this point. <laughs> The, the summon fights, I will say, for 16 are so fucking cool. Like, I mean, that's those have always been the coolest fucking thing about this game. Like, even back when I wasn't all that into it, I still thought, okay, you know, those, those fights are pretty fucking sweet. Like, I think I think anyone will, will tell you that much. Yeah, um... But no, like, I, what I was most... Like, what I was most happy with was just how the combat looks. Like, you know, the combat, I mean, I'm still obviously not, I'm still sad about the lack of party members, but you know what? The combat is so fun. I almost don't give a fuck at this point. Like, it's just, it just looks so fun to play. I do have one worry, because you can equip your summon abilities in battle. That's like most of Clive's powers, is that he's borrowing powers from a freet or whoever it does look very busy so i'm worried there might be a slight readability issue where i won't know where to dodge however the game does have uh various easy modes such as you can equip an ability that means you can dodge out of the way uh the game will like pause itself so then you can hit r1 and dodge that's one of like yeah its like it gives modes. you uh like it gives you multiple options for that like there's one that's just auto dodge and one that's uh, that's we slow the game down and tell you to hit the button to dodge. 
Yeah. Um, Yoshi P played with one hand other... for a while, which I would, which was shocking to do on stage. Yeah, he just he just mashed square. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't even looking at the controller. <laughs> yeah. I will say Yoshi one thing. Um, yeah, can't use. I mean, Yoshi P's public persona is, I am a hardcore gamer. I want to do hard games and hard challenges, and I, I'm going to play my hard-ass game with one hand. <laughs> that, that is his public persona, yes. Well, he had put on the accessibility mode, so all he had to do was hit square and R1. Um, though, I, I, what was I going to say? I will say one thing, is that this is an hour-long overview of a video game, and I, I think we were commenting on this earlier, is that how much do you have to say about a modern game anymore? Because it's like, all right, I'm going to show you the part where there's cutscenes. I'm going to show you the part where you can equip abilities. And it's like, this is what every game has. This is the part with side quests. Like well, this. I mean, like, you know, that doesn't necessarily tell you if that stuff is any good or not. Like, and I think the fact that they are showing us this much, you know, you know, because going back to Forspoken, right? They barely showed us anything of that in comparison yeah. to how much they showed up for 16. Like, yeah, I mean, in comparison, like, you know, it's, it seems very clear to me. Like, I saw I saw this take going around on Twitter that, like, Final Fantasy 16 is showing goatee vibes, as in showing Game of the Year vibes. And honestly, like, <laughs> I have a hard time disagreeing with that. Like, because, I mean... They are. They seem very confident in it, and it looks very good. Yeah, no. Like, yeah, it is. It is actually pretty easy to suss out who the uh, the main competitors for a uh, game of the year are in a given year. And uh, so far this year, uh, Final Fantasy sixteen and uh, Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom are oh absolutely going to be considered competitors. Oh my god, that's going to be a rough May. Because I'm going to have to beat Tears of the Kingdom in like six weeks. So that I'm ready for Final Fantasy 16, which is out on the 22nd of June. So I'm going to have to find out I what the I'm... hell the, the meat arrows do very quickly. Because I won't have that yeah. much time to experiment. Yeah, I think I'm going to sit on Tears of the Kingdom for a while. Because, you know, while it does look like a good game, it's not grabbing me as much as Breath of the Wild did so far. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm feeling is um maybe it's just like an overall exhaustion as the older I get, but it's like have we run out of video game ideas on a certain point? Like I I get that this is a really good one of these, but it also it is one of these where I can kind of see mm. exactly what's going on. It's like here's the side quest, there's going to be billions of them. Here's the crafting part, there's going to be billions of that. Tears of the Kingdom, though, looks like it's doing something very different mechanically, so I think I'm fully excited about that. And I don't know, am I just depressed and weird? Or I don't know. What's no, going no, 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 I, th I think I do see what you're saying, because, like, there is a lot of convergence, and a lot of video games do seem to be very much taking from one another in a way. So, like, you know, for example, like, you know, since Uncharted dropped, we've always had video games that seem to have these long walking segments, right? And, you know, same with The Last of Us. Since then, it seems to be, oh, we have to have a walking segment with two people. Like, you know, 
suddenly God of War went from this like platformer hack and slash game to now just being basically The Last of Us with hack and slash in it. Right. And, you know, you can see some of this with Final Fantasy VII Remake, where it has to have those segments that look like, you know, basically any other Sony PlayStation exclusive game game that's going to come out with that, its, you know, that, with its walking segments and its immersion. Seven Remake did a lot of that because it helps mask loading and Integrate had a lot less of that. Right. So. That is true. Yeah, that that's is, that one thing I did not well. see in Final Fantasy 16, any of it, was a moment where Clive has to sidle through a very thin section of something or another. Which I bet will be in the mm. game. I bet that's going to be there somewhere. But, mm. yeah. Mm, but that's right. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do see what you're saying to an extent. But um, I'm not sure to what extent I would apply that to 16 versus... Like, you know, I think that criticism applies much more to, for example, Final Fantasy XV, where it seemed like in trying to be like the rest of the industry, it had lost too much of what made it a Final Fantasy game. Where I'm just like, you know, I'm not sure to what extent that applies to sixteen because to me, it feels, it feels like there's a bit more Final Fantasy DNA in it question mark than 15 had so so well, i'm not like, like disagreeing with you i'm just like i'm just not sure to what extent i would agree well, i don't think it's like even... one thing that um that yeshita you know, has talked about you know the, the, you know in reference to like this game feeling so different from other you know, mainline final fantasy games is that yeah, you know, the definition of the Final Fantasy series that's basically given to him by the by you know the people in charge of the series before him is that it's basically just what the people in charge want to do at that given time. There's a bit of shared uh, shared lineage, but if they want to go crazy, they go crazy, and that is exactly what happened here. You know, Yoshida got uh, given the chance to uh, to design a title from scratch instead of uh, the case of 14 where he was put in charge of one that he had to salvage and like he he decides you know what the people in my team really want to do is make a make this big spectacle action game so that's what they're doing i think what i'm getting at is um all right in may we have a zelda game in june we have the new biggest final fantasy game this should be the most infinite level of delight. It is everything I've ever asked for out of the video game industry. If in July Kingdom Hearts 4 was coming out, I, I my head should be exploding. And yet, I don't know. I don't feel so overwhelmingly joyful. And I don't know why that is yet. This should be the greatest year in gaming ever. And I don't know what's going on with me. Well, I don't know. I mean, it feels like uh, you played a lot of games. A lot of them have not been that good, and you probably yeah. just burnt out. Yeah. No, I I agree with I agree with that take completely. I think um, Final Fantasy has let us down on a number of occasions, and I think uh, many people 
are struggling to get our hopes up after what happened with 13 and 15 happening right after one another. Like, you know, I remember, like, many people were super getting their hopes up for 15, and it just not living up to that. You know, uh, for a lot of people, Kingdom Hearts 3 didn't live up to their hopes either. So, well, they're wrong. Uh, I think, well, I'll yeah. Fight yeah, you. exactly. Well, I'll fight them in the street. Yeah, but, like, um, to me, like, the only thing, it's the only single player, I should say, the only single player game they've ever put out in recent times that's ever really lived up to expectations is Seven Remake. Right, and even then, like, you know, there's a large section of the fan base who hated it. It's not a majority, but there's a portion of people who just were never going to like anything that they put out other than them literally just redoing the same thing with the same graphics. So, and, and even then, they probably complain about something. You know, there are people who complain about Crash Insane, which was just that, or Spyro Trilogy, when, that, when it was just that. So, I mean... I, yeah, I, I would agree with the take that I think a lot of it does come from burnout of being in these situations before and just not wanting to get our hopes up again. Yeah, I don't know if it's burnout because I have played some really damn good games the last few years. Maybe it's just, you know what? I have to have the game in front of me. I have to be in that world. I have to play Final Fantasy sixteen in order for me to fully be in love with Final Fantasy sixteen, where I can look at I look at Tears of the Kingdom, and I know exactly how that game is going to play. And I think it's just been long enough for me to be nostalgic for Breath of the Wild. So I think I'm going to love that fucking game. I can guarantee you that. Mm. Especially because you can, you can put an eye on your arrow, and the arrow will go kill innocent birds for you. It becomes a homing arrow. I'm not sure how I feel about that I yet. mean... Uh, yeah, I do admit that seeing that that video did get me a lot more interested in the game. Like the the just like all the various merging stuff, uh, looks like it's going to result in some really really stupid ridiculous shit. And like I have seen some of the weird stupid ridiculous shit that people do in Breath of the Wild. You know, like they they're fucking magic trick shots that. Uh, manipulate pretty much everything in the game so like they can kill an enemy from like a, from like several kilometers away <laughs> yeah it's gonna get weird that game's gonna get real freaking weird it's gonna be amazing yeah that's um yeah that that looks that bit looks fucking fantastic yeah yeah and i'm sure in final fantasy 16 when i get to the point where i am fighting who I'm predicting the final boss is going to be Joshua, reborn, because he's Phoenix. Get it? There's no way Joshua's not coming back. He's Phoenix. It's right there. It's yeah, the, 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 they're absolutely going to play into that somehow. <laughs> yeah. So when you're fighting your little brother as the final boss, I think I'm going to start feeling some things, and whatever I'm feeling right now is going to be long past. Hopefully. Because I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself if I end up not liking Final Fantasy 16. I, I don't know how I could continue with whatever it is we do. Um, Alright, I have another issue I want to bring up. So this is from an interview that Yoshida did. Uh, Yoshi P, of course. Um, 
This is regarding the term JRPG. Have any of you uh, looked into this one? Yeah, this uh, this thing. Um, yeah, I want I want to quote him I directly because uh, I um, um, um I, I have some complicated about, feelings yeah, about okay. this one, but uh, um the first time we heard it JRPG, it was like a discriminatory term, as though we were being made fun of for creating these games, and so for some developers, the term JRPG can be something that will maybe trigger bad feelings because of what it was in the past. It wasn't a compliment to a lot of developers in Japan. We understood that recently. JRPG has better connotations being used as a positive, but we still remember the time when it was used as a negative. So I, I think it was him more or less implicitly asking for people to stop using JRPG. Um, I don't know. What, what do you all think about that? So... An interesting thing is, uh, after you know, that being said, uh, people did try to do some digging on that, try to find when the term might have first been heard by the Japan Japanese you know, developer yeah, community. Because of course they're not they're not tuned into where uh, they're not tuned into the community we are. They wouldn't have known that you know this term's been around since like the nineties. Right. Uh, the the first time that it seems likely that Japanese developers would have heard the term JRPG is back in 2009. Uh, yep. there's, there's, there's this interview with uh, Greg Sezchuk, uh, founder of Bioware, and the, and a lot of it was basically him trying to you know, puff, up the, puff up the writing skills of his own studio at the expense of Japanese, uh, uh, Japanese role-playing game makers, which, first of all, as someone who has... Uh, who has seen multiple Bioware games? Uh, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Big. That's a shitty, really shitty thing. But go on. Yeah. Um, and second of all, this was uh, in the era. This is like you know, uh, late six, uh, going through seventh generation, where Western media was extremely fucking racist. Like, uh, like, dear God. Uh, one thing that other people. Uh, dug up at the time uh, was old episodes of X-Play uh, yeah, there's a G4 game show with yes, Adam uh, Sessler and stuff I'm a, I am was a big fan of X-Play at the time and uh, every time uh, they brought up Japan uh, they managed to say something incredibly fucking horrible um, yeah, there's uh, there's there's stuff in there like uh, Japan wasn't a country until America nuked them twice. <laughs> um, yeah, this yeah, is there's um... an actual thing said on the show, uh, and uh, when people brought this up, Adam Sessler actually fu doubled the fuck down on this on Twitter. He started complaining that uh, you know, people are only are only mad that there's are uh, dismissing their mass their wank bait. God, what the fuck is wrong with this person? Um, yeah, X-Play's um, kind of bread and butter was kind of being the comedy video game review thing. And in 2006, comedy was in a different place than it is now, where uh, part of their thing was, let's be as offensive as possible. They also did legitimately yeah. hate JRPGs. They, they would yeah. refer to them as another cookie-cutter JRPG, which... To be fair, in the year 2006 or so, if you were reviewing a ton of PlayStation 2 games, there were a shit ton of games that looked very similar to each other, but they also were pretty much assholes about it. And that was their character yeah. they were playing, was assholes. And I don't think they were even playing a character at a certain point. 
Yeah, and, and like that was the worst of it, but like the media landscape, just in the, in general, uh, could get really really bad whenever you know, Japanese games were involved. Like uh, there's that one infamous uh, Phil Fish interview uh, where he basically just says the Japanese suck at video games. Um, and there's uh, oh, there's that one uh, one review of the original Nier where the uh, reviewer basically just got fed up because he couldn't figure out how to follow the math. Um, Which, in fairness, was there, very there unclear. Are, but there, there are countless examples of of media just not giving a fuck and putting out the stupidest thing they can say on the topic. And yeah, if if you tried to pay attention to Western Western games media during that period, you would get the impression that that the Western uh, Western community considered just the word Japanese a slur. Like Which it is was so that funny bad considering it's so funny considering how things have changed and people nowadays from those same kind of communities are now like you know praising Japanese developers to all high heavens because it's not quote unquote woke although you know they're probably wrong about that huh? but you know it's just so funny to see how things have changed but this is what I always tell people whenever people say oh Final Fantasy 15 was divisive or Final Fantasy 7 remake oh that's so toxic no, dude, if you were around when Final Fantasy thirteen released and basically, like, you know, you would see endless article after article over how JRPGs are dead and they're dying and how... So that's, so that's where Japanese developers would have got it from because it would have been from a bunch of people saying, oh, Japanese studios have no, like, innovation left or they're about to, you know... Like, their whole industry is about to die because people didn't like 13 that much. That's how much people didn't fuck with that game, right? Or some, that's how much, like, a, I should say, a section of fans did not fuck with that game, right? Mm. You know, so I totally understand why, uh, why Yoshi P would have, have made that comment and said, yeah, we kind of freak out when we hear that term. We kind of just like it when, you know, people just refer to us as, a, as an RPG, because it's what it is. It's an RPG. But it does definitely explain to me also how, you know, you look at, like, Dark Souls, for instance, and I would say 16 and 15 are others' examples of it, where people would say, oh, they play more like a Western RPG. But the studio behind it wasn't thinking in terms of, oh, we want it to be to seem like it's a Japanese or like a Western game. No, they just want to make an RPG. They just want to make an action RPG, and it just so happens they were inspired by Western RPGs. Yeah. Something um, that. I, I, okay, you go. So aside from all the racism, something that I feel like is maybe not translated super well uh, is is how much how like catastrophist a lot of uh, Western media is, right? Like, oh my God, the entire industry was collapsing because Final Fantasy Thirteen was like a B list game. And then you saw the same thing with Final Fantasy XV. Oh, uh, Final Fantasy is racist now because Final Fantasy XV uh, had like uh, had like the Backstreet Boys as its characters or whatever. <laughs> Every like, people, yeah, yeah, like 
with you know with a lot of Western media, there's you know there's often like these crazy overreactions to things that are pretty small and don't matter that much in hindsight. And so yeah, if, if you the obvious Final Fantasy thirteen is long after two thousand and six, but it, I think it's easy to see how so sort of like a super backlash to Final Fantasy thirteen translates to. Uh, the term JRPG becoming kind of like a like a dirty term in Japan, Be- because just the sort of we're used to like catastrophism. It's what everyone does. It's stupid, but everyone does it. Yep. But I don't think it translates well. No, I think that's fair. That's fair too. There's definitely like you know a cultural component to it as well. Like uh, that 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 definitely comes down to it too. But, um, yeah, you know, when I read that, like, I was seeing so many people, like, get almost angry about it. Like, oh, why aren't they being true to what we love about JRPGs that they don't even want to make JRPGs anymore? I'm like, you know, if you just practice, like, a second of reading what they were saying and, like, a second of, like, cultural empathy... Then, like you know, you'd you'd realize they're not saying what you what you're wanting them to say, so that you can doom and gloom about this game. Like, you know, it's 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 frustrating when you hear takes like that. But, yeah. I'm... Uh, in any in any case, I'm yeah. I I I I think it's a perfectly fair statement to make, and you know, I I feel for them that they that the term has been that they've used, considered the term to be a negative thing because, you know, many such as myself will consider it quite a positive thing because I happen to prefer the Japanese style of making role-playing games over the Western style of role-playing games. And another thing I think is that, the, like, the distinction that required, like, the creation of a term that, you know, allowed you to distinguish between uh, one that follows game development patterns in Japan versus one that follows gameplay develop uh, gameplay development patterns in america and europe that's that has mostly gone away there are still points at the extreme but you know, western games are a lot more you know, cinematic and character driven than they used to be eastern games you know uh, japanese games they have taken some of the more open structure from western games and also in some cases uh, like you know those very classic dungeon crawlers, the original RPGs. Japan honestly makes more of those than the West does these days. Um, like you know, one of the one of the progenitors of the genre is uh, uh, was uh, Wizardry. Japan's actually made more games in the Wizardry series than the United States. Yeah, that, that's what I've been trying to get to. Is like, all right, there is a hist- I want to look at, like, the entire history of RPG and, like, video game RPG just for a second. Like, Japan was inspired by the same things that, well, I'll just call them Western RPGs were. Like, it, Final Fantasy is born out of the same D&D role-playing traditions that Ultima is born out of. And, I mean, imagine you think you're just making what's part of this one global tradition of RPGs. We're part of Wizardry. We're successors to that. Um, you can look at FromSoft. They were as inspired by Ultima Underworld and all those sorts of things to go and make their weird PlayStation 1 game that everyone... What's that one game? They made like four of them. That first person game. It kind of looks like Super High Glide, but it was actually like good. I can't remember the exact name of it off the top of my head. I, I can't think of any specific games that are like... 
I know. I don't think it's Kingsfield. I thought Kingsfield was like more of a direct uh, predecessor to the Souls games. No, um, it was so... like uh, yeah, predecessor. Yep, yeah, maybe it is Kingsfield. I think it. Yes, it is Kingsfield. Thank you. That's the exact game. So you can look at like lots of games like this, and it's clear that there's always been a communication between East and West, where one's inspiring mm-hmm. the other, and to suddenly be told. No, you're not part of our tradition. You're part of a different tradition. This is some smaller thing called JRPG, which even if you're saying it positively or negatively, like negatively, just fuck off. Like just straight off, like just easy enough. Yeah. Phil Fish, screw right. off. Yep. Everybody in 2009 and that era well, who Phil, was... Phil Fish did screw off years yeah, ago. He, he hasn't did. been hurt since, uh, yeah. since he uh, deleted his account. Yeah, yeah whatever, but... You know, there was a lot of triumphalism in that era of, like, we had finally defeated Japan. And that xenophobia was definitely in the media. And it was definitely in the games industry. And people were guilty of it. Even I was guilty of it to a certain extent. I'll be honest. I've said lots of shitty things online. I'm sorry about them. Um, So, if you're looking at it negatively, it's bad. But if you're looking at it positively, even in that way, like, because I love... I've always considered myself kind of a JRPG player. And until Yoshi P yep. had said this, I hadn't really like examined I, yeah. that too well. There's mm-hmm. something there's something exoticization about it. There's something a bit uncool about it. Because it's certainly not like JRPG is the same thing as anime, which where like in Japan there seems to be a conscious recognition that our anime our animation industry is distinct. And we're proud of it, and we're happy to be distinct from the global animation tradition. Where I, I mean, even even then, that's like just primarily a stylistic thing. Like, yes. like you know, a, an American cartoon in Japan is just an American anime because that's just the term for the medium. Yes. Whereas JRPG, if the developers, the people who make them, they don't want to use that term. They're uncomfortable with it. I don't know what utility it ultimately has anymore, and maybe we should be retiring it. So my understanding of, of JRPG has been, uh, ironically, that, that it has nothing to do with, uh, or very little to do with the actual country. Yeah, that, that's another point where I want to uh, point out where, uh, yeah. where the uh, definition is almost meaningless these days. Uh, the most uh, influential JRPG of the past decade is Undertale, which was made in fucking Boston. Yes. Right. And one of my favorite games of last year was a game called Shamed Echoes, which in my review I used the term JRPG like, I don't know, like 20 times. Uh, that is made by a German guy. Inspired heavily by a yeah. dozen Japanese games, but like calling it a JRPG is kind of a meaningless term at that point. Hmm. I use the term but four yeah, times. I, I... Okay. I think it needs to be understood in the same sense as the term Polish dog, where uh, I clearly did not cook this sausage in Poland, but somehow it is distinct from uh, a hot dog. Uh, What's a Polish dog? I, I actually don't know that term. I actually don't know that. That's, that's they're like spicier hot dogs. Oh. Is, that, oh, interesting. is that a Chicago thing? I would not eat any in Chicago, but wait. Am I making this up? I swear to God, Polish. No, dogs no, no, are... no, no, no. Because I, 
It sounds familiar, and I, I'm remembering now. I just watched a movie called The Sting, which is from 1973, but it's set in like the 30s, and I remember seeing a sign for Polish Dog. I didn't examine it too much because I'm like, oh, this is like set from 100 years ago. It's probably long since retired. But oh, apparently the the apparently the definition is it's a Polish dog if it has garlic. I just interpret oh, oh. they taste different, but I guess they taste different because Polish dogs have garlic. Okay. okay, but, the, but my, my point is that Poland has very little or nothing to do with garlic. Yes. Um, it's it, Japanese RPG is not a very good term for what it's describing, but it is describing some, I think it is describing something different than a Western RPG where Undertale is clearly a Japanese RPG from Boston. So yeah, they probably like, should, these terms should be replaced, but I don't think that they have no meaning whatsoever. Yeah, there, there are very distinct things, like there are certain features that I think of as JRPG features and certain that I think as Western RPG features. So for example, like the level system in Japanese RPGs, um, you know, to, to use the term in absence of a better one, like, you know, you could get to like level 99 in Final Fantasy VII and you could one hit everything, right? In a Western RPG, that's not going to happen you know, you can get to maybe level 20 at the max, and it's not going to make that much of a difference because if you suck at whatever that game's combat system is, you're just going to lose to the boss no matter what. And the other thing is, like, Western RPGs are much more... You're much more likely to not be given an actual character. You have to make your own character, and they'll give you a character creation thing, and you'll have to set their own name, and then it will be this whole thing where... They'll try and insert you, and then you're the silent protagonist because obviously they can't give you a voice. Sometimes they do, whatever. Whereas in a Japanese RPG, you're much more likely to be given a main protagonist, like Cloud, like Lightning, Squall, whoever. Yeah, be but given that's, an not, actual that's not necessarily that true of either one of them. Oh, so. it's not necessarily true either way. It just, yeah. it in my experience, it tends to be more one or the other. Like... So I think, I think definitely like there probably could be a better name for that genre than just JRPG, but it's just it's hard to say because it's not really clear cut. See, see, and like one thing is uh, back before like the actual solidification of the JRPG term, the uh, the two categories were generally a Western RPG was a computer RPG, while the Japanese RPG was a console RPG because uh, you know, the platforms of choice tended to be like DOS Windows and the NES, respectively. Yeah. A lot of games did cross over between both. Like, you could play... I think you could play like, Ultima like, 7 on the Super Nintendo or something insane like that. Right, yeah. But, like, at some point we just got to admit that, like, the, the term is too dated and there needs to be a better descriptor of it. Yeah, because, because that's, you know, what happened with the terms beforehand, it's what's happening to the to the terms today. Yeah, I mean, um, like the Undertale example, like, all right, there's a very specific thing that's playing up our Earthbound and um, the Moon, the PlayStation One game mm, is the ones right, that's specifically yeah. inspired by. That yeah. game is so different in every single way from Final Fantasy Sixteen that to call them both the same genre is meaning that the genre term is probably overly broad. Which, unfortunately, leads me to the next question, which is, like, what the hell is an RPG anymore? Because 
Final Fantasy 16, if you look at it, all the things it's doing is basically the same thing that any old Assassin's Creed game is doing, and is that well the last the last few uh the last few assassin's creed games uh origins on was uh they went full on into that uh, you know western style rpg sort of gameplay yeah so which means like unfortunately genre questions in the video game industry become increasingly muddy because the triple a game is kind of what the genre is at this point because everything is rpg mechanics everything has action mechanics everything has beautifully rendered cinematic cutscenes. everything has crafting everything's going to have some kind of multiplayer element to it it's kind of it's not like there is a genre anymore in that space it's that there's one genre there's the game the Ur game. Mm, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that too much because, I mean, yeah, sure, if you're talking about games that you typically expect to buy on a console nowadays, then, yeah, they've blended together a lot. But, you know, for example, like, you pick up a PC game, like, you know, or you pick up, like, a mobile game or something yeah, like that. Those are and not AAA back- games, though, typically. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess not, but, like... Um, you know, like big multiplayer games, for example, still get a AAA budget. Like, you know, you, you still yeah. get your Call of Duty or whatever, or like your FIFAs and Maddens or whatever. Like, you know, these still get AAA budgets. They're just. No, yeah, I, are, I see what you mean. Those are different things, though, yeah. But I think even Madden has RPG right. mechanics in it now. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure so does FIFA. But, um, yeah, like, I think. I think I, I know what you're talking about where when you're talking about games in a certain space where we used to get seemingly used to get much more diversity in the types of games we were getting and now they're much more homogenous because the studios go for safer bets, quote yeah. unquote. Then I do see what you're saying in the you know for example like Hogwarts Legacy. Like that game oh, basically God, we don't need to fucking bring up Hogwarts Legacy. Oh, Okay, uh, let me think of a better example. Okay, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. There better you go, example. yes, better example. Yeah, better example. It's basically just, you know, a, the kind of action RPG-ish game that we get all the time, but with a Star Wars skin to it. That's the thing that's distinguishing it from the other games. Like, you know, when you, when you, when you bring up ones like that, um, then, then, yeah, it does seem to, to be that we're getting much more homogeny there i don't know if that was even the right term in terms of the games we're getting in this specific space but um you know the it is in the context of the gaming landscape more broadly overall then i I do think you still do get a a good enough amount of variety that i'm not yet ready to be too freaked out about it but i do see what you're saying yeah, I I don't know if I have a good answer to this because ultimately I I still find utility in the term JRPG, so I feel like I'm going to end up using it, even though I'm increasingly mm-hmm. uncomfortable with it. And there is still utility in the term RPG, even if it's so vague and so many things are RPGs now that it's like, yeah, I don't know who said who said we need to solve it on this podcast. It's just four idiots talking. Well, I think. Uh, I think we- no, I was just going to say that JRPG, I don't think anyone was uncomfortable with it until Yoshi P brought that up. And now I think, yeah. I, I, sorry, in the West, anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just that like, we had an 
I feel like I had a blind spot that he opened up that I should have been thinking no, I more critically of it. I agree. Sorry, go I mean, ahead. You can't Kat. be omniscient, but what I was going to say is uh, I think the answer is vibes based analysis. If the game feels like an RPG, it's an RPG. If it doesn't feel like anything, it's a single-player AAA game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, like that, uh, that, that is the catch-all genre: single-player AAA game or SP three AG. Yes. Yeah, like sure. my friend, my friend brought up to me, like, you know, when I was saying, "Oh, isn't this an RPG?" And he responded, no, I mean, I was like, whoa, but they've got levels and they've got leveling up and they've got like, you know, equipment and stuff you can get. And he responds to me like, yeah, but I mean, if, if we're go using that as the term for an RPG, then anything's an RPG. And I'm not sure to what extent I'd agree with that. Like, um, but I do, I do like the idea of the vibes test being a good test because, you know, you could, if, if we're going by the definition of, oh, it has to have a level up system and it has to have equipment and a currency you can buy and whatever, then Ratchet and Clank's an RPG. But I don't think anyone would call Ratchet and Clank an RPG. It's a platformer. And that's what yeah. most people would call it. It just doesn't fit the vibe of quote unquote RPG. And you know what? Mario doesn't have levels. It's the yeah. one game, it's held off. There's no RPG elements yeah. in any Mario game yet. Except for the Mario Russian RPG, <laughs> except for the fucking Mario RPG games, yes, that I forgot. Well, there aren't any Mario RPGs anymore, considering what Paper Mario has turned into when the the makers of uh, Mario and Luigi went bust. But yes. <laughs> Well, I just, like, Ratchet & Clank was super, like, revolutionary at, at the time when it came out, that it was introducing RPG and third-person shooter mechanics into a platformer game. But you look at games these days, and that seems like the least novel thing you could ever do, because so many in incorporate those sorts of elements. Like, you know, Assassin's Creed has plenty of RPG mechanics in it. Like, you know, Jedi Fallen Order, filled with RPG mechanics. You know, so it just it's just not a novel thing anymore. And I think loads of people, like loads of studios, I should say, have incorporated those sorts of mechanics in because, you know, people are just playing games for longer now, as in games last longer than back when you'd have an arcade game where it literally just be, you know, you go to level one and then you and then you fight the boss in the next level and then you do whatever like and there wasn't much character growth or progression and now that's become much more of an expectation yeah and now of course your game must be heavily monetizational you must find a way to turn your game into a low-key casino and suck as much oh well that's one thing that hasn't changed from the arcade days yeah yeah actually we are right back to where we started from aren't we <laughs> well i will say the um i've been pleasantly surprised with how uh people how much people have pushed back on that to the extent i'm not seeing it as much at least i'm not seeing it as much in single player games yeah uh, part still... of that is that uh, like european governments and stuff started cracking down on uh, on loot boxes yeah i think a mix of that and the absolute disaster that was star wars battlefront 2 they had an absolute winner on their hands until they just ruined it with that so yeah i i, I think it's a mixture of both things Okay. Um, do you think we should start wrapping up then? And yeah. is there anything else anyone needs to talk about? Um, um, 
I feel like we've uh, we've wound up doing like an overview of the entire games industry while we were supposed yeah. to be talking about Final Fantasy think, 16. Well, I think I think our summary for Final Fantasy 16 is it looks good. We're excited about it. We're just we're not as blown away as maybe we would have been for previous games, but it appears to be that part of that is due to fatigue. Yeah, we're all just cynical I, like, old bastards. Yeah, There's of, nothing wrong with like, that. Yes, yeah. I, I, I sound a bit there sometimes, but internally I'm just kind of like, fuck yes, this is awesome! Yeah. Right. Because, like, it, it is. It, right. it is, like, it is not what I would have expected from a mainline Final Fantasy game, but it is still a thing that I want. Yeah, that is like, exactly my take on it. Like, yeah. if I, if you'd asked me, if you'd given me an infinite budget and said, design the next mainline Final Fantasy, would I have made this? Fuck no. I wouldn't have made that. I would have gone sci-fi. I would have put a female protagonist in. I would have done party mechanics. I would have basically done the Gambit system all over again with the Seven Remake combat system. I wouldn't have done any of this shit. And as some of you cheaters interviews have pointed out, you wouldn't be wrong. That would still be Final Fantasy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I would have done. I would have done that shit instead. But you know, they went with this. They went with this direction, and it seems like we're still getting a really good fucking game, right? And uh, as to as to how much it will affect the future of the series from this point on, I think it will depend a lot on how well this game sells and how well this game does. And I do expect it to critically do extremely well. As for how well it sells, remains up in the air. I think it's going to sell well. Oh, it's going to sell great. It, 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 oh, it's going to sell great. It's just, is it going to do Final Fantasy VII Remake numbers or is it going to do, like... Dark Souls numbers or GTA numbers or something like I mean, it's that. It's not no one. No one's going to do GTA Five numbers. No, okay. No one's going to do GTA numbers. numbers. I think but GTA like, Five has then, sold like, um, like 180 million copies or something like that. Last I checked. Okay. Like, uh, like, like, like Seven Remake was, was like it sold immensely well. Like that is very much a, a over astounding success by square enix standards and would have been one that possibly one of their greatest successes ever if uh, you know uh the event marvel's avengers hadn't come out in the same financial year and uh, caused a uh, a loss about equal to the amount of money they made off seven remake yeah. <laughs> um god um all right but, uh, yeah, like it's probably going to sell amazingly, and its main, it like its main limiting factor probably isn't the game itself, but the fact that it's a PS5 exclusive, which that that situation has oh, yeah. started to wear off. As I know, there's a lot of people who aren't aren't aware of the fact that that situation has uh, has started to improve. Yeah, yeah but Resident Evil of... Four sold what like three million copies, but that's a multi console. Yeah. already three million in, copies like in the, words, in the words of the great poet of the 2000s marshall mathers they sell like four million when they put out a bad album or in this case a bad game so they're gonna sell well it's just how well on top of their usual good performance they're gonna do yeah all right so i figure we'll end there um 
This has been the Final Fantasy Wiki Podcast, brought to you by Potions. Who's going to be our sponsor next month? I don't know. Will it be Super Potions? X-Potions? Elixirs? You know Final where to contact... Final Fantasy 15 Red Bulls, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> yes. Final Fantasy 13 <laughs> Cup of Noodles. With lightning on it. So, um, if you want to be sponsored by the Final Fantasy Wiki Podcast, uh, we're non-profit, so we're not going to do that. Um... I'm Blue Highland. Yeah, I've been hosting I mean, this you, thing. You can talk to, you can talk to like fan because they'll take money for anything. But you know, you can't talk to us directly. No, and fandom is not technically in control of this. Uh, but the They're Final not in Fantasy, control of the podcast, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the Final Fantasy wiki is controlled by fandom. That's at finalfantasy.fandom.com. And uh, the podcast music is La Montana de los Jovenes Caballeros. I think I said that backwards a little bit, but that's fine. Uh, that's by Expert Novice yeah. off the OC Remix album of Final Fantasy VI. It's the Final Fantasy VI Mount Colts music. Balance and Ruin is the album title. And um, that's everything. Uh, if you continue to listen, uh, your podcatcher will start up a new show, which means that this show is over. So, I mean, even if you want to hang around, you cannot. It's over. It's ending. The file is over. Hey. 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 Hey.